0: Hello and welcome to Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. Uh, With me today uh, is Finian Makepeace, Chief Strategy Officer of Kiss the Ground, and I am Nisha mary Paulos, Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. Finian is a thought leader and a visionary who has led much of the effort in mainstreaming regenerative agriculture. He's one of the producers of the movie Kiss the Ground, which needs no introduction, and has been continuing to lead the movement that encourages agriculture to adopt whole systems approaches and embrace the interconnectedness of humanity and nature. Welcome Finian, very excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. Great to connect and of course, love all the work that you all have been doing right along with us uh, the, the last many years in this movement to bring this idea to the world and get more people connected to it.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to uh, to then for the next steps and all that's in the next phase of this movement as well. Um, and you just attended the rally for resistance at Washington, D.C., Um, last week, along with many other um, important voices in the movement, as well as farmers uh, across scales, small scale farmers as well of organic and regenerative agriculture. Um, So how did it go?
1: It was great. Um, The the Rally for Resilience was really farmer centered and specifically smallholder farmers, indigenous farmers, farmers. And generally BIPOC farmers and other disadvantaged farmers, but it was really calling attention to uh, the the need for and generally the lack of support and and, um, prioritization that's happened at the USDA uh, to help the smaller holder farmers and those that have been historically disadvantaged. Uh, It was quite an exciting rally. Um, A couple of uh, the Farmer Leadership Council members from Regenerate America Kiss the Grounds campaign that we'll probably talk about in a minute. Uh, for the farm bill, we're able to speak there, Yadi Wang and Chili Yazi. Yazzie. Um, Yadi is from Arizona. He's a, a first-generation farmer who is just doing incredible things in such a dry climate and uh, proving their abilities. And then uh, Chili Yazi is a, an indigenous farmer from New Mexico and, uh, you know, someone who's been in this fight and this work for such a long time. Uh, he, he introduced me to so many folks on the Hill uh, the, the next day, but uh, an incredible voice Uh, for this movement. And both of them spoke eloquently at that rally.
0: Wonderful. Um, You know, we do have a global audience listening in and to to this podcast. And so before we dive in deeper, could you tell us a little bit more about what the Farm Bill um, is and what it means for the food system in the U.S. and uh, elsewhere in the world and what exactly we're rallying for?
1: Great question. So, around the world, several governments have different versions or incarnations of something similar. The Farm Bill here in the United States uh, dictates much of our farm policy, meaning what are we incentivizing? What are we helping subsidize? Meaning what is the tax dollars of the US public going for in terms of agriculture? Are we helping the the, uh, subsidization of mass conventional chemical-based Uh, highly degenerative agriculture, or are we starting to uh, prioritize and push forward uh, more regenerative ways of farming? And are we helping farmers do that with all the things that are accessible to them? So a lot of countries and um, territories have uh, some type of governing structure to put forward support for farmers. And it really comes down to the voice of the chemical companies and some of these uh, ag companies that are very much at the top, uh, have been getting what they want, largely, uh, as well as you know the U.S. export market. But for the farmers, their situation around the world and in the United States uh, continues to get harsher. As the soil is degrading, as input costs are rising, farmers are in a very tight situation. In the U.S., the average uh, um, loss is 4%. Uh, of what the debt is every year that's the add on that farmers are dealing with here so in terms of the struggle it is real Uh, we're at dire case situation with the amount of desertification and, and loss of land so this is a call to government to say we have to start prioritizing soil health and the ability for farmers to start advancing into regenerative agriculture
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, the the last century has really been about the chemical companies really driving this entire food system market and making it pro-chemical at every step of the agriculture process. And right now, we're really, as you were saying, in many parts of the world the whole idea is to how how do we bring it back to native systems? How do we bring it back to earth-friendly or collaborative practices with the earth? And how do we use nature as a means to um, really be part of the food system? And um, what are some of the key things that really needs to change with the system itself? And one thing, of course, is the kind of Uh, the lobbying power that chemical companies have but what else Um, and I ask you this because you have a very holistic approach to this this problem and you work at it um, at an individual and an organizational capacity you enter the system from various uh, various sort of stress points right like you're working working at a legislature level which is kind of putting pressure top down but also bottom up you have so much of a strong, deep relationship with farmers across the US and uh, also with just a kind of a worldwide audience of, um, of people and mainstreaming the idea of uh, regeneration. So what are these really critical things that we're looking at that needs to be specifically uh, spoken of at this stage in the
1: movement? It's a great and big question, but I'll try. I'll try to summarize it uh, in a theory of change, which is pretty universal. I think it's not not particularly niche to anyone, but almost always awareness is first, and then you have actions, and then you get the outcomes that you're hoping for. Our theory really revolves around there needs to and has to be constant support for the awareness that invitation portal or that, that area where people are able to grasp an idea and get deeper uh, and more connected to it. Regenerative ag and soil health, while uh, in many indigenous cultures has been a way of living around the globe and a way of being predominantly in agriculture as, as we've expanded out the models of chemical intensive agriculture, we've lost a lot of that. So the awareness of what's possible of regeneration, repair, rebuilding soil is really vacant. So we have to start with kind of where we add in the human consciousness. Again, there are pockets of people in different groups who are doing it, have been doing it. Some, again, in indigenous cultures who are leading and have been leading in this. But the reality is most people are living under the guise of it is the way it is right now, whether they see a desert outside their home, or this is the, the the state of the soil or the ecosystem they're living in. And they're living, I would argue, mostly in a guise of sustainability. How are we going to conserve what little is left? How are we going to help farmers in this drought? How are we going to ease their pain by giving them alfalfa for their cows that are dying? People don't believe in regeneration. And until you start to shift that basic belief you're left with people trying to compensate in a sustainable think. So that's where this awareness side, before we say actions, we have to say constantly paying attention to how far are we lifting up the awareness such that it hits critical mass and critical people who are decision makers. And that's where things like kiss to the ground, the movie and the, 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 the assets that we've created that are short form content, the assets that we've created that are photographs that the, the events like that you guys all have at Regen Rising, where, you know, your next event, I think, is in November, you've brought people who are leaders in food and ag and companies who are influential in their own right, but also de- demanding and creating demand for supply change. If they don't know the difference between sustainability and regeneration, nothing's going to change because they can't. Find the source of their food and figure out if it's regenerating. If they don't even understand what regeneration is, so we're dealing with a a very big lack, a uh, kind of a, a separation of of comprehension here. And we have to bring that together. Do people grasp? Do they understand? Do they have an empowered sense of being that regeneration is possible? And that's where I feel like you know our two orgs have worked. In different niches around the subject for quite some time. And it combines a lot of different methods. But overall, that awareness uh, niche has to be front and center. Everyone can contribute to that. Everyone can pay attention to that. We're living in a con- current construct. Unless we change it to a regenerative thinking, regenerative future thought, we're going to be stuck in a little less bad and a conservation mentality yeah that's where we start. So our storytelling in in policy in businesses, it comes back to do people get it? Do they have this essential aha moment and then you have to start not letting the money win, not letting it start to get slippery and greenwashed and because it's easier, let's just keep doing it. That's where you have to play a bit more hardball and get people on your team and constantly show up because inevitably easiness and money will, make this concept diluted and and fall on its face.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a very beautiful way of phrasing it. And, you know, I always, um, I'm really fascinated by the idea of uh, timelines and how, you know, the last couple of generations really think, and this is across the world. And it's, it's, we're really thinking in terms of five years or 10 years. And that's the sort of future that everybody is really taking the effort to envision. And then nature is like thinking in terms of thousands and if not millions and billions of years. Right. And then, um, you know, like, so whenever these five, we also expect results in those kinds of time. Anytime anybody's doing any kind of intervention, it's like months is about the maximum people are patient waiting. And then, okay, there are a few who may wait a few years, but the idea of regeneration, which is really kind of a natural concept, it's a part of nature, everything in nature regenerates. And, you know, essentially, that's that's weaved into everything that is natural at a cellular level, at an ecosystemic level. And it's always fascinating to me about how do we flip this understanding of what it really means to be uh, regenerative and go from this nexus of one problem, creating multiple other problems. And then you're trying to solve each of those problems and then creating multiple other problems in the process to this very inverting it into this natural system where there's so much balance and everything sort of solves each other and you don't really have a role in problem solving anymore.
1: Yeah. I think that the thing I would extract from that is- problems and solutions are compounding and unintended or intended consequences have to be managed holistically. And if you don't, you are inevitably going to to find failure. But I think one one other point, and I'll I'll just end on that part with when it comes to regeneration, the compounding factors are really incredible where you say, I did X and I did Y, shouldn't it all be good? And it might take a little bit of time. But then you do X, Y, and Z, and all of a sudden magic happens. Then you do X, Y, and Z, and then you start adding A, B, C, and all of the sudden, nature's phenomenon. And now again, five hundred million years of research and development should never be undervalued here. Nature has a law which makes sure that the efficiencies are always increasing. Efficiency is increasing for five hundred million years, and knowing that the efficiencies require maximization of biodiversity but are working towards maximization of energy capture and maximization of water capture because life needs water and energy to operate, then you say, wait a minute, if we're not paying attention to those fundamental laws in our practices, we're going to be slow. So in the movie, I think Gabe Brown mentions you know, what takes him one year because instead of doing two cover crop seeds, he's doing 17 different cover crop seeds the inputs that those uh, organisms, those plants are putting into the soil, the exudates, the chemical compounds that attract different biology and what those biology then make available for the plant in a nutrition level and, and a chemical level, that is something that means compounding. You're compounding, but the more you add the diversity, all of a sudden, what would have taken application of different chemicals for 20 years he's doing in, in one. So these are things where, yes, it can take a while, but thankfully we are finally bringing in more of life's universal lessons of things like diversity matter that when we're seeing, look, yes, like rotational grazing, right? That's what, 30, 40 years old as a big concept. We should rotate our animals, not just let them in one place for the entire year. Let's rotate them every month. And you're like, okay, what if you get that on steroids? What if you rotate them when you should, based on the grass being trampled a third, eaten a third, a third left standing, and enough dung and urine scattered, and then you move them when you should, based on that grass or when that grass is ready, and you have a cowboy or cow girl out in the field doing it, all of a sudden, your rate of regeneration is so fast compared to what is 30 years ago that, oh my gosh, we should do rotational grazing. That's what's so exciting for me right now. The advancements of regenerative agriculture are so phenomenal in terms of getting it, humans getting nature's capacity when we work with it, that it's super exciting. Like The quote I'll leave you with on that is Alan Williams, who says, what used to take us 15 to 20 years, we're now doing in three to four. That is such an exciting premise. From what you said, the human condition is like, where are my results in six months to a year where are my financial results from six months to a year? That's all I'm looking at. Luckily, in most contexts, we're able to at least onboard farmers and ranchers when they get the right training and support to have those results, reducing their input costs by 30% in the first year or two. those That's something that gives someone the confidence to keep going. And I think we're just lucky we've gotten to this stage in the movement that we're all pushing so hard but we also have the experts and the, the the practitioners out in the field able to do it and show it and 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 give examples. So
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, it's also a little bit about really what does it look like to be efficient and what does it look like to be productive and you know, the changing some of those those definitions of how we perceive things of what does abundance look like? Or what does productivity look like? Yes, uh, which is a, you know, it's it's really also moving back into indigenous sort of worldviews of um, what it means when a season is, is acting a little bit differently from a previous season. And how do we embrace that and truly see abundance in it and like play off of that abundance?
1: Uh, I love that you said that. And I think in this realm that we're in, you know, you you, you have to simultaneously work in the jujitsu mind of like you take what's coming at you and you return it with something with an add-on. But you know, people are like, "What are your yields?" Oh, you got to keep your yields. Be like, okay, yeah, we can pretty much match the yields if we want to. But why aren't we talking about net profit here? If your input cost in general are more than your yield. Who the heck cares about your yield? And this is some of the most amazing breakthroughs when you have farmers in the 70s who were pushed by the Secretary of Agriculture in this country to go big or go home and maximize every square inch of your, your field. All of those unintended consequences have compounded where your, your soil's degraded, your watershed's depleted, your small water cycle's gone, your biodiversity's uh, terminated, all of these things have happened and you're left with what you're left with and you're still trying to maximize. Now farmers are saying, wait a minute, I can actually pare down my operation, make more money here, help my local economy while simultaneously having these major repairs, like your riparian areas, waterways, like the biodiversity hotspots that you're creating because you're working inside of your system, but you're benefiting financially because your input costs gone down 40% in two years. So those are the kind of things that speaking plain to farmer of like, we're not going to try to get you to get that you're jumping from now to living like uh, people who are native to this land somehow like, oh, that's just going to no, no, let's let's work with you practically here and start to see these gains like, wait, your great grandfather or your grandmother, remember their land, you can actually now that you have pigs and you have cows and you have chickens. And you have your your agroforestry system and your row crops. You diversify and you have more of a portfolio. You're making more money. You're less vulnerable to input and output rises costs on the subsidy on the uh, on the, on the commodity system. And all of a sudden, you're resilient and you're a structure and a phenomenon in your community, helping that economy. So it's just a a yeah. constant ever unfolding thing of like we are so in the belief of yield, yield, yield at all costs, and it's it's such a bs thing that it's been then tricked farmers tricked into so
0: yeah yeah and 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 the value of resilience right like not at the mercy of every little bit of change in climate or a little bit of change in weather and i think at a well-being level that is such a so much value to have that confidence that the system that is that is part of what you've created is fitting into the natural system and, and there's this ally kind of a relationship with nature that, and then you're resilient. And I was reading how, with all of the flood that's been, um, you know, the multiple floods that California is facing, that regenerative farmers are not suffering as much. And in fact, are like uh, finding value in in, uh, the fact that it's, it's they're bouncing back faster. They're not suffering as much damage.
1: That's such an important point. The resilience factor. I'll just leave folks with this image in your head. Imagine you are putting an inch of water onto a piece of land, half an inch of water, even just a minute, like that small amount, most farms and ranches that are being tested in the United States right now, infiltrate water at a half an inch per hour. Sit with that. That's almost as bad as like the cement outside your house. That water is going to evaporate very quickly or run off carrying with it. 4.6 4.6 tons of topsoil per acre per year. So you're creating a problem by breaking your soil and having a network. Regenerative farms, if you counter that, so many of these farms able to infiltrate a half an inch of water in under 10 seconds, you have completely transformed your flood and drought issues. Now, I'm not saying that mega floods aren't gonna still be mega problems for farmers, but as you mentioned, this, this bounce back for regenerative farms is super fast. They're still not broken and completely washed out. Now, the the small amount of rain, a two-inch rainfall, that should not be causing havoc on our farmland. But it is because our farm soil is so depleted and degraded that it's causing all this havoc. Now, here's another kicker. Why are we working on things like the Farm Bill? The U.S. US taxpayer pays uh, up to 60% of the bill for crop insurance, which is what farmers use for if a weather or something else wrecks their crops, or if their yields are so low that they need a buff up for getting more county average uh, help because of of something out of of their control. We're saying if the U.S. taxpayer is paying this, and this is something that exists in insurance and all other insurance companies give incentives for what, good drivers, right? Allstate, good Mm -hmm. drivers, Don't have to pay as much because why? You're less risk prone. But we are now subsidizing easier the high risk farms compared to the low risk farms. So we're trying to say at the very least, make it easier and more accessible for the extremely low risk farms than it is for the high risk farms. And that's just an insanity of our current system. One of many that we're trying to change uh, with Regenerate America.
0: Yeah, very powerful thought, uh, Finian. And while we sit with that, I just want to say that you are tuned in to Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha mary Paulos, Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Finian Makepeace, co-founder and Chief Strategy Officer of Kiss the Ground. Um, You know, and I want to just, take a little bit of a, a slight tangent and talk of like you know food systems uh as an ancient sort of a practice has always been um a, a community effort um and you know the advent of machines and the through the industrial era and then the chemical era have sort of brought this idea that you don't need other people because machines and chemicals are doing that work mm-hmm. but that was just that was not the sole point of community in the the food system right there was a lot of exchange of wisdom and um sharing of practices sharing of produce uh and then there's the, the community aspect of um of bearing the shocks together but also sharing the abundance and um you know because, because Regener- Regenerate America and Rally for Resistance, it's all about community, about bringing people together and having that community voice. Um, I, wanna, I really wonder, how do we usher the value of community back into the food system? And I mean, not that I'm expecting you to have the final answer, but what are well, your thoughts I, on that?
1: I definitely have some thoughts. It's a really great question. And thank you for bringing it. I don't think it's talked about enough, but... We talk about indigenous place-based knowledge quite a lot, but, you know, when when you're planting tomato seeds, right, and you are harvesting them and you're working inside of your own garden or your community garden, you're like, wow, this kale plant or these tomatoes did really well. I'm going to get the seeds from them and make sure next year, because the, the pace at which an, a plant can, you know, your plant, different uh, plants you have can actually be figured out of like, what's working in this environment, in this context, let's work with that one. Humans are very much the same. Obviously, we are just dead fast in this. You have to make sure indigenous place-based knowledge is making its way at least as credible as holistic management and uh, hopefully soon as credible as quote-unquote scientific knowledge that's being utilized or seen as relevant in this regenerative ag conversations. But when it comes to community, one of the, the really sad things um, is just the uh, ubiquitousness of just like the English language, for example. And, but what that does to, where is authority coming from? So much of the authority is coming from down from top down and dispersed throughout the world to sell more stuff from the U S and other countries like that. But we are losing not only in in native languages, but native cultures and trust, and also trust in people who know things. I mean, from the age of getting rid of the witches, like we have just been decimating local-based knowledge holders such that other people have power, usually from outside dominating uh, exterior colonizing forces. And you're like, what do we lose from that? And then we lose so much. What I'm trying to say is why there's hope is that we can start to pay attention to localized systems. And if we're not bought off and the, the coaches aren't certified crop advisors who make half their money selling you drugs from the chemical companies, if they're not your main coaches and you're actually having access to practitioners, farmers, or people who have learned from the land, I've seen, and I can, in my own lifetime, you have that wisdom starting to come back. And we can start accessing it more. So we're not, it's not hopeless. We've, decem- we've decapitated it in most places around the world, unfortunately, but we can start to harness it and get it back, not just with indigenous technical place-based knowledge, but we can start to to find that place-based knowledge of what's working in context. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really, really important. And I think we've just been trained so much to trust the um the people that we've been pointed to, to trust the, and, and, you know, in my life, I'll just be plain about this, but, um, as a white man who speaks pretty well in English, most of the time, I have been able to be in spaces and present or share things. And I think it's my, something like my responsibility to, to do what I can to make sure other voices are being brought in all this other stuff, because we're living in a sad, but the reality of the context, it's changing, it's shifting. There's a bunch of pushback from it changing right now from the powers that be, but we all have to start recognizing how much has been taken away from us because we've given away this authority uh, to to kind of the university system, the American English system, like so many businesses that are successful. It's just crazy. And that's why Monsanto and these other groups have so much power because they say, oh, look, I'm going to get one person in this community, start being my salesperson. They're going to make a bunch of money and start driving their car around. And saying, look, this is what you need to to get rich. And two years later, you have, you know, in India, like so many farmers committing suicide because they got bought and sold in this in this bullshit. Pardon my language
0: yeah and that's something that i know i care so deeply about and uh, i'm so glad that we're talking about it because you know the, the food system is global there is there is no way we can literally everything we find on any shelf in any market has touched the lives of millions thousands across the world and in its journey into the system right and also in its journey out um and um yeah that's a very very kind of a powerful way to Uh, look at it that when we're changing the system there's also the opportunity to use this globalized system to create global change and also really be conscious of the the sort of power structures that exist right there's a formal power structure which is like literally a world order that has been created and then there's the informal uh, power structure as well when there's a white person in the room how people react to it and how there's through colonization, there's so much of 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 sort of training that okay, the white person knows best. Uh, and even if sometimes people do think they know, there's this need to stay silent. So mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of consciousness to say, say, bring this up. And when and and I think there's, you know, in there's so much more. Uh, it's so much more powerful, it's so much more um, beautiful when there is like, you know, power is so lonely to be the, but the other way, we are all collaborating if the whole world is like coming together to to deviate from the idea of one truth um, yeah. which is, and, and look at place-based truths as well place-based sciences and that all of that will just enrich our um, entire system and that's, I'm just so glad that you spoke of
1: that yeah, and it's, it's sometimes, um, I don't know how much you know about it, but the, the, the origin for me of something we call soil advocate training, it's again, it's bizarre because I'm coming from a position of what people see as authority. And I'm constantly surprised at how few questions I get or pushback I get. Um, I'm mostly self-taught in this work. Of course, I've been lucky to be connected with leading experts from all over the world. Like that's been a a privilege of being as a a media producer, people being willing to talk with us and share all these insights. That's been really awesome. But surprisingly, through something like Soil Advocate Training, where we've trained over 5,000 people from 30 different countries There's a surprisingly little amount of weight. What? What did you just tell me? Like, who are you to tell me this? And how does this make any sense? People taking it. Now that's okay. Fine. Whatever. Let's take that off there. But more importantly than that, how are we having people move from listeners, people on the bleachers to believing that there's someone on the court and as much, you know, I've designed the course to my best of my ability to, that is the purpose. How are we going to say, okay, there's people like me, there's people like you, Nisha, who are out there being like, I'm a part of this, I'm going to contribute, I'm going to be a part of moving this forward. So many people are still on the bleachers. And part of that is our education system of how it's been top down and how people think of themselves. of it's just personality type, but even making a course that's designed to bring people onto the court to be players in the regenerative agriculture movement, we're still really, at the end of the day, probably looking at 15, maybe 20% of those graduates who are really taking that leap. And of course, there's so many other uh, reasons and, and rationale that can go along with it, but we're still dealing with this kind of mentality. And I, I lucky I was homeschooled growing up, so I didn't really have a lot of just conventional education. Like you just listen and you regurgitate what the person tells you to regurgitate. Um, but we're, we're definitely in a, in a problem now. And so our soil advocate training, I think is a tool that provides people the means to go from, I heard about this idea, I think it's cool, I love it, to I am now being given the access to the resources, but also empowered technically to be a deliverer of this, to be a, a person who's actually doing this. And that is what it takes. You can't have, in my view, you can't have um, people constantly taking leadership from top down. If you empower them to be their own leaders, then all of a sudden you have. And, and I hear occasionally, like, oh, this thing's doing this, this thing's doing this. We're not, like, constantly being like okay, here's your next move, advocates. That's not how it works. This is how are you being a Finn or a Nisha. That's the goal, the game plan of this advocate training program. So that's something, that I think, that allows people to, to see themselves and say, I've gotten some of the basics. I've gotten some of the science. I can articulate this more, um, and now I feel more empowered to take myself into this work. So...
0: Yeah, so it's like pushing the system forward, like progressing, moving moving that needle from different directions so that there's different types of information coming into it. Um, you know, I just attended Expo West and um it's uh I mean it is interesting that it was happening at the same time as the rally for resistance in um in Washington or DC. And um, you know. Uh, For me, this was my first Expo West and I I really saw that it was really beautiful, the kind of passion that people have towards really um, finding ways to work into the system. And this transition is is really about uh, changing your mindset, it's changing your ways of living, it's changing the way you see nature mm, and the way you change how you value life. Um, And uh, there's so much going on and there's so many advancements of science, new practices, best practices coming from different parts of the world. And there's, of course, the leaning into ancient and uh, indigenous knowledge. And it's really just I was really um, I felt honored to be in the presence of so much conversation, so much genuine intent amidst a very capitalistic system that Mm -hmm. we are still working out of. Um, and um, I'm curious to ask you, uh, what do you see as the sort of the next conversation we need to have um, to keep this movement and community sort of like on uh, to think more to expand this consciousness?
1: That's a great question. Could, uh, I think I mentioned before the we another law that I think I don't know if it's technically a law, but um, money and laziness or ease are constantly what we're going to have to be combating and comfort of what people have so change is hard for anyone you know the farmers who are doing the change is hard for them because whether or not the chemical companies took hijacked their father or mother 20 50 years ago 100 years ago or whatever uh they're still accustomed to a traditional thing and a a way of how it goes that you're up against and that goes for everything and everybody. And that's where change is always, I think, incremental in some ways. But this is where um, right now, I'll give you an example of what we're fighting right now. So we're looking at the farm bill. And we just today got information that there are certain allies out there who are kind of just being like, this is a good idea. We need more certified. Uh, we mean we need more technical service providers. These are people who help farmers to start implementing practices right and there's something called certified crop advisors so you say wait we have all these certified crop advisors why don't we just make them technical service providers so they can start implementing the government's programs well here's the catch as i mentioned before that that group that i mentioned a minute ago over half their income the certified crop advisors comes from selling inputs fertilizers and pesticides herbicides fungicides so If you're just going to say, oh, we need more of these people helping farmers get this stuff and you're saying, let's just certify all these huge group of whatever, 15,000 plus around the country. No, wait a minute. That's obviously easy to do and fast, but that is not solving the problem. These people don't know the basic tenets of soil health and how to prescribe and help with that. And they're still chemical salespeople. So those two things married together, you're all of a sudden you're saying, oh, yeah, th- this works because Bear says, yeah, that's totally makes sense for our push for soil health and regenerative ag. Oh, really? Well, simultaneously, it helps you sell a boatload of product. So these are the kind of things that as we're moving into this space and things seem logical, we have to think holistically. We have to think about unintended consequences and we have to be willing to rear our heads and say, Hey, look, this train's moving, but I gotta call a spade a spade here. And there are people doing this for for the inclusion of, of different cultures, BIPOC people. There are people doing this for chemical stuff. There are people doing, it. and it's not easy to be the the, the messenger, but it is it is absolutely important. So you're like, oh, great! You know, we our uh, our board member Natalie was just calling out Nestle of like, yeah, great, good on you for pushing this message but what is your current reality and what are you doing about it like we 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 can play nice but play hard and that's what we have to do is is people can't just get off easy at the usual and we have to dig deeper i mean i i think it's just sad that we're retracting back in so many parts of our culture to like this has gone too far people are trying to make it too good for everyone be like at the end of the day <sighs> You got to be faced with like, what if your family or what if your sons and daughters were X, or what if you were in this position, what would it be like for you? We kind of tend to just put it out there like, oh, it's, this is uncomfortable for me to think about. So, or to do anything about, so let's just pretend it's not something we should deal with, but progress isn't easy. It's stretching always.
0: It's a, it's a great time to really bring up some uh, audacity to the conversation and ask some things that make people uncomfortable. And there's something that I was I think Just
1: a note, on, I think you can do it in a loving and, and, and constructive way. I personally have found so, so much more pace and big changes when I'm doing it with a smile on my face, with commitment to help, but just doing the call out thing It does ring, it it tires a lot of people out and it doesn't feel like you're on their team. So I used to be the rally leader, the sign holder, the drum beater around the marches. It wasn't until I was in LA and there were thousands of us outside of city hall. And one of the council members came out and said, look, thank you for being here. Our doors are open. We're understaffed and overworked. If you have ideas, bring them in, come into the building. And I took the person at their literal command, and a week later, went in, figured out what's happening with the compost policy, brought a group together, changed language, and a month later, we completely changed the RFP that was going out to change the entire waste haul system for Los Angeles. But what I would have been just beating a drum outside. That's great. We still have to do that, but we also have to be like, if you have the idea, who the heck do you think is going to write the idea? If you don't write it. Someone else with ulterior motives, probably just financial and other, are going to get the seat at the table because they're showing up, they're going into the office, they're making relationships with those staffers who are writing those bills, they're going to get written. Are you there? And you can't just show up for the one-minute comment period that they (laughs) offer the public. You got to go in the doors.
0: Yeah it brings us back to what you were we started off this conversation with about how you're empowered to be part of the change uh to really have the hope that you can also contribute to the system with ideas with actions with impact and not just to you know not just to like comment in the end or stay helpless at the sidelines um I'm conscious of the the time and I uh before we end I want to ask you um what's what's new for kiss the ground uh is there anything you want to share
1: all right yeah kiss the ground is excited to announce we brought in a new ceo back in august mm-hmm. um we're about 10 years in right now um kiss the ground the movie you know brought so much attention to the work we're doing as champions for regenerative ag movement um we have a lot of uh, media coming out this year in the following years it's short form for educational purposes uh we have a, a great film um uh, with uh that we collaborated on with a woman named Lila June, it's called Possibilities of Regeneration. It's an animated uh, movie, short form movie that's really designed to highlight um, what's kind of been left out of the story a lot of times, which is the indigenous um, knowledge and and actual agricultural systems of the United States. Uh, that's now the United States. Um, uh, that's a piece that's coming out this this April, and then we have a bunch of short form content coming out. But a lot of people are probably wondering the f- next film, Common Ground is coming out it's the follow-up film to kiss the ground we're so excited about it it's going to be a big thing bigger than kiss the ground was in terms of its uh, uh availability and other uh, means and uh, it, it definitely shares more of the the voices still not 100 inclusive of everybody that's almost impossible when you're making content in any stretch but it definitely does i think a better job than than the previous film on including uh more voices uh, in this movement um, and then on advocacy, Regenerate America has been front and center. We're carrying that through till the farm bill is, is signed, sealed, delivered. That's going to be at the end of the, this year. So we're still looking for folks who want to get involved, support that businesses that want to get involved, farm groups that want to get involved, people want to sign the petition. Uh, so we're encouraging, we're trying to get to 100,000 signatures uh, to deliver uh, really soon. So please go to regenerateamerica.com to do that. Um, and then our ad, uh, education we are expanding where and how we're reaching uh, massive audiences with this education opportunities. I mentioned soil advocate training uh, this is a place where people can really access their leap into this movement and take a big leap forward and empower themselves with slides with training on on all these different parts of the of the movement and and so those are the three areas uh media creation, uh, education and advocacy that we're really, Three Xing in the next three years.
0: Perfect, yeah. As uh, you know, it's really, really looking at the same problem and how to include more people in 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 and working at the system from very very many sides at the same time, so that the change that is affected is really wholesome. Um, and the last thing I want to ask you is, um, I mean, the Retreat of Earth Summit is back this year from our yes. end. Yes. It's been something that you've been a big part of. And I just wanted to ask you for some. Insight. Yeah, I,
1: for, for folks listening, Um, I'm not just saying this to to give a shout out here, but there are parts in this movement that are absolutely essential. Um, And I think people who look at where they can be of best value, it's really critical. You know, some people like, oh, I just want to get into this area, because that makes sense. But I implore people to look, where can you help? And sometimes we're not the experts, but uh you know the the work that you did at Regenerative Rising with Regenerative Earth Summit has brought forward so many key partnerships, so many key relationships that now are expanding. You know, I work with Gina from Applegate all the time. I met her as oh my gosh, that's Gina from Applegate whatever 7 years ago, but now we're f- really good friends. And we work on so many things in this movement together, but there's countless examples of what a very intentional, well-set-up conference that's very much at the heart of what regenerative ag and and this movement is about. So I encourage folks to go to that. I I think it's invaluable when we're connecting with like minds, but it empowers the movement to be amongst uh, folks who are in and to see the diverse uh, players in the mix and be able to to see them as peers and as, as colleagues in this, in this big journey together.
0: Thank you for that. That's a really wonderful thought to uh, share. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to really see the power of uh, these, these summits and what it means when we come together as a community and as a collective um, and I think, yeah, with that, we're, we're almost at the top of the hour. And um, thank you so much, Finian, for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and your very deep, uh, true understanding of the system and what it means to be regenerative and how to be positive and inclusive um, as we take steps towards uh, the transition that awaits us.
1: Indeed, thank you so much for having me and and having this podcast and all the work that you all are doing. Looking forward to to working with you in the future more and more. But everyone out there, this is this is your signal. If you're not already in, already involved, get involved. Uh, these two organizations, Regen Rising and Kiss the Ground, are both uh, pathways to deepen your involvement in this critical movement. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Finian. Um, this is Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, and the Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Finian Makepeace, Co-Founder and Chief Strategy Officer of Kiss the Ground.